I've heard about this and I've experienced it with some new hires. The snowflake generation. <laughs> I think you're talking about my generation there. Perhaps. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. I get it, but I will tell, in all honesty, I think the workplace has to change. I think the crap that, uh, David, I don't know about you, but me, I started at KPMG. I had a senior manager the first week I had done something who came to me and literally told me, am I allowed to swear? Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. We are live at Accounting Web in San Diego for in-person interviews, which is, this is our second one today. We're just now getting the ball rolling here. Uh, first interview, we were just talking to uh, Seth Feinberg of Accounting Web, understanding why he had the courage to throw a conference. When we go to these conferences, I like to go and find people that I don't know. Usually, I, I know of on Twitter. And so now, our next interview, I'm bringing on Eric Green. He's the founder of Tax Rep Network, which if you're involved in tax Twitter, you're on Twitter at all, you've seen him, you've seen Tax Rep Network, but you might be like me where you're like, what the hell is Tax Prep Network? So <laughs> Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we'll start with that. Like, What, what is, is Tax, tax Prep, Prep Network? Network? All right, you know, so I'll, I'll tell you the, 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 um, the, the history to this. So uh, I'm a tax attorney. Day in and day out, what I do is IRS representation. Audits, appeals, offers and compromise, all that. 15 years ago, the way you got work, probably is still today, you rent a room, invite a bunch of accountants into the room, and you know I would do some CPE and get referrals. Probably about 12, 13 years ago, I do this talk, and um, a CPA come, walks up to me at the end. He said, I would pay you if you would teach me to do this. And I said, um, okay. And, you know, he said, look, he said, I, he lived in the same town. He said, I happen to know, you know, we have friends in common, you know, could I have lunch with you? I said, absolutely. So I had lunch and he basically was like, look, I'm doing 1040s. I really would love to do offers and compromise. Because right now I'm sending it to like you, I'm sending it to lawyers. So based on that, I was, you know, it, it was intriguing. I created an eight hour training program and you have to test it. I mean, how do I know? I mean, I think it's great. Who knows who else thinks it, you know? So what I would do, so I, what I did is I invited a bunch of friends, EA, CPAs, and attorneys, and I bought breakfast and lunch and pizza and beer in the evening and said, can you just listen to this? Got feedback. Ultimately, I ended up creating a program, selling it on the internet, just eight hours of training. That was it and my materials. Um, I got a call. Um, and this was pre, before everybody did all these master classes, which is very hot the last three right. years. Like, Every, so yeah, you're, you're a decade ago kind right. of doing this. Okay. And um, a friend of mine you know, said, you know, it'd be great if you could you know, get this, you know, more reach with this. Well, I, I didn't have like a list, so I figured I have to partner with somebody. So I talked to Intuit, Drake, NAEA, and CCH. Drake and uh, Intuit both come back and say, there's no money in tax problems. Nobody wants anything to do with tax problems. Uh, the NAEA said, you're going to compete with our NTPI program. We want nothing to do with it. In fact, we'll probably destroy you. Um, and um, CCH was the only one that said, you know, we kind of, we, we spoke to our friends at the IRS who actually agreed with you. The inventory and collections keeps climbing, uh, automation. We think this could be a really nice niche product. And so I partner with CCH. We roll out this training program. It's now 20 hours. And 
from that, I start getting emails from all over the country. You know, hey, Eric, um, I got a client. Can I refer? I, I saw the videos, loved them, CCH. Can I refer them to you? I'm like, well, why don't you do it? That was the whole point of the training. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, I'll coach you. So now, about 10 years ago, I'm doing like retainer agreements for like 30 accountants all over the country helping them. One of them finally emailed and said, could we do like a, just a monthly retainer? And Clemens Rob, who's my web guy, who's actually at the booth, said, you know, why don't we do a membership site? And you can put your marketing and your stuff there that they could access. So we launch a marketing uh, membership site and we end up with like 20 members. I'm like, there are 20 people that actually want to like pay to be coached. And it has now grown to over 400 members. We have 160 hours of on-demand training, 40 hours of marketing training. We do three live conferences a year. The New England IRS Rep Conference, we, which we had to set up as a 501 because the IRS executives won't come if it's a private money grab. But that one, we actually are, the, I think, the second largest tax conference in the country. We had 2,100 last year. Um, 300 in the room and the rest web from all 50 states and about 10 countries. And we raise about $75,000, $80,000 for charities. So we go the low-income taxpayer clinics and some other Head Start programs. Tax Rep Network today is, has grown into the, what I never imagined is this sort of online community of accountants, lawyers, EAs, all trying to build their representation practices and it's actually a lot of fun. It, it's great. Like I actually had someone come up today. She said, I just joined, followed your books and your webinars. I settled a million dollars for $71,000. My client is over the moon. I made $10,000 doing it. And so I need a picture with you, which is a little bit, I'm like, are we doing this now with the COVID thing? Are we hugging? I'm like, all right, we'll hug. That's been a lot of fun. But I will tell you the law firm, we've grown from two people to 25 people. Partly, I think, because of the network and the podcast, the firm just keeps growing and growing and growing. In fact, I have too much to do, which is a good problem. And so that's the history of like how Tax Rep Network, it was never by design. It was a complete mistake. And some of my members will, if you ask them, it's obvious that it, there was no plan to this. Like, I never planned it as a business. So like, there were never multi-level membership. I mean, like all this stuff that people are like, why didn't you do I never thought, I didn't think this would be a thing. I just wanted to help people. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like community is an important part of this because, yeah, you can give everybody a class, but what people really want is a sounding board and bounce it off of people, and they want that a little bit of hand-holding as they build this into their practice. When you say tax rep, you're talking tax representation. Right. So apologies for the dumb question as a non-tax person. When you say that, what do you mean by tax representation? Now, technically, I, I would almost guess almost every accountant does representation. Answering a letter to the IRS is representation. But in particular, we're focused on representing the taxpayer who has an issue with the IRS. So it could be an audit, appeal, offer and compromise, installment agreement. At its extreme, criminal tax investigations, prosecutions, plea agreements, which I would not get involved in unless you're an attorney or forensic accounting. We've done a lot with forensic accountants in that field, and there's a lot you can do. I mean, forensic accountants charge more than I do. I'm 575 an hour. Some of the forensic accounts we use are 750. So, so let me stop noted, you there. And ask you. Check. So, so a lot of tax rep work is working with the IRS. Yeah. Why would anyone in their right mind want to work more with the IRS right now? Send a letter to the IRS. Call in three months. Oh, they still don't have it. Call back in three months. They still don't have it. Six months later, maybe well, they well, processed well, listen. it. I mean, we're actually going to be discussing this today in, in one of the talks. If you think about the backlog, think about what happened. IRS campus is shut down 
70,000 people are sent to work at home. I'm actually amazed it's not worse than it is because uh, it was 12 million of unopened pieces of mail. It was 6 million two months ago. They're going to be caught up, they're saying, by November. Now, they've pulled resources from everywhere else to do it, but a couple of reasons to do this. One, you charge way more money than you do for a 1040. But here's what's interesting. When the members got involved in this and began marketing, what they found is people would come and hire them for the other stuff, 1040s and everything. Why? Well, I know if I have a problem, you can handle the IRS. You're not afraid of the government. So the assumption is you have that CPA, you did my taxes, you're going to handle all any help I need if, if my taxes are wrong or I get in trouble. Or if you get a notice from the IRS, what's the first thing you do? You call your CPA or EA and be like, uh, what is this? Right? So one is, it's almost like a reverse marketing that you market for representation work, but you get other work because you do representation work. Two, our members do get access to, like some of the executives here, they're at all of our conferences. So my members actually get to meet people and they can, I had an issue going on due today, I couldn't get a response. Thankfully, one of the executives here told me this morning, it's been taken care of, you have until May 30th, don't worry about it. I don't tend to pull those cards very often, but you do get to meet people. So if you do have this problem, you can at least get to a human being. Whereas people who just call the 800 numbers, I don't even know how you practice. I'd rip what little was left of my hair out. So you have an inside track to people who can actually get stuff done. It is a natural outgrowth of doing this and speaking and meeting the players. So for instance, why would you want to come to the conference in person versus online? Well, you come in person, they're all hanging out, not the lobby, but the area outside the main room. And you can walk up and talk to the chief of criminal. You can walk up and talk to the chief of collections. I mean, it, it, chief of appeals. They're all hanging out there. It's gotten to the point where our staff will say, hey, you know, David, I know you had that appeals problem. Let me introduce you to Andy Kiso. He's outside. Now, Andy's not going to, David, all right, what he'll, what he'll do is say, look, email me. And when, when somebody in the staff will go and deal with it. But it can help, I find, unclog the pipes when they get clogged. It's not like he's going to intervene directly that they're yeah. not going to want to get involved. But what they can do is send an email going like, what's going on with this? Can someone get involved and figure this out? And it does get things moving again. So the tax rep work, tax resolution work is more lucrative than just a 1040, you said. How much more? So we did a survey of our members because, first of all, I kind of came up with this. Well, actually, it wasn't me. My marketing person came up with a tagline at 100,000 year bottom line which bothered me. I'm like, you know, I, that sounds like a guarantee or whatever. So we actually, in 2019, we surveyed the members. 65% had in fact added 100,000 or more, which was awesome. The average offer in compromise came back at $8,200 for fees, the average. The average payroll case was 15,005. The average non-filer, which also included back returns and stuff, was just under 18,000. So given that there are 10 million non-filers, if you could market and the average case with back returns, bookkeeping, and then dealing with the, very rarely do people file missing returns and get refunds. It's usually they owed money. Usually you, not always, but usually self-employed. If you knew you were gonna get roughly 15 to 18,000 per case, what do you need, six a year to add 100,000? What happens is the members, as they start getting busier and busier with this, begin to realize their 1040 practice is more and more of an anchor than anything else. And how do you bill for this? You know, uh, how do you charge for these services? What do most of your members do? Let me tell you about the magic of retainers. 
you know, if you're a lawyer, you know all about retainers. If you're an accountant, you're used to billing at the end. Right. Which is, by the way, just dumb. No, no, no. No return gets e-filed until you get paid. If it's that urgent, it has to be done by April 15th, well, pay your freaking bill. But we urge them and give them sample letters where they take the retainer up front, right? You take the 5000 up front for an offer. You know, we'll take 3500 for an installment agreement and bill hourly against it. If the client at some point stops paying or stops, which, by the way, is not uncommon. Well, because they had trouble paying the IRS, you want to... <laughs> You know, you want to make sure you get paid up front. Well, and you know what the, the beauty is? One of my senior partners, years and years ago, the client kind of wouldn't respond. We ended up being owed a few hundred dollars. So he said, don't do anything else. I'm like, we're not going to get paid. He's like, oh, no, no, we'll get paid. They're going to levy him. Give it a few months. We'll get paid. Sure enough, got levied, called up screaming. So what do you want us to do? We got paid. And by the way, you know, people are like, well, these people are broke. Look, if someone came in truly broke, there are low-income taxpayer clinics. The, the taxpayer advocate runs all over the country. They can go get free help. But they're not broke. Like, I just made a family uncollectible. They're earning 150000 a year. But between allowable expenses, they don't have enough to pay against the back taxes. So they're not broke. They either made pretty poor financial choices or, or, bad luck. or have had bad luck. I mean, I've had people have horrific things happen to them I would never wish on anybody. And so, yeah, no, you tend to work on retainers, so you get money up front to work on. And I tell all the members, whatever you're charging per hour, now for accounting tax, add $100 an hour. That's what you're going to charge for your rep work. So I find this interesting to add this to your practice, because, I mean, obviously there's big fear of, like, oh, all these startups are coming, they're going to automate bookkeeping and these types of things. And I, I'm thinking about this, like, you could add this to your practice, and I'm sure every case is super individualized, it's super difficult and messy. Yep. Like, engineers aren't going to automate the tax representation workflows anytime no. soon. And so it's a very secure business model. To me, the automation of bookkeeping, as you mentioned, comes to mind. You could view it as, oh my God, they're competing with me. Or you could view it as, well, well, wait a minute. If I could get my bookkeeping done automated, my job as business owner is go get more bookkeeping. There are two ways to look at it. Either I could downsize staff and save the money, or I could punch above my weight and get way more done than I could if we were going to sit there king crap in from Bank of America or wherever. No, if that's all automated, like in our office, we have automated our intake. If I can cut 30 minutes off of my staff time getting a new client in and set up and the checklist out and the link to pay and all that stuff out, 30 minutes and we're opening up roughly 15 to 18 new cases a week, that's a lot of hours. And that's probably an entire staff person that I don't need. Whereas if we keep growing, I'd have to keep, you know, the old pyramid model, you know, accounting and law firms, right? Partners, and you had your, your senior associates, and you had all the staff at the bottom. If you can make that more skyscraper, so you keep growing and growing without adding more and more staff, it's really a mindset that if you can, if I can use automation and view it not as it could be a threat, but can I take this and use it to grow and just keep adding and adding and keep piling on? They got to get over the fear thing and, and, and view it as, I think, an opportunity. What tips do you have for working with the IRS? You have to understand the process because there are, I don't want to say inside tips and hints, but there are things that you can do most people don't even realize. So I'll give you an example. One of the real headaches right now is people who've come in, the government has, because of the number of non-filers, they have been issuing substitute for returns like they're going out of style. So they create a return for you and send you a bill. And then lien gets filed, levies start coming out, you're, you're in collection. 
so people have filed the correct returns to bring the balance down. They're sitting unopened. And, and so what we're getting a lot of is my client is getting levied. No one knows where the returns are. I can't get them to do anything. They won't put a hold on. There's something called the doubt as to liability offer. So you know offers and compromise, and most people think of, yeah, I made $10 million go away for $1.95. Those are what are called doubt as to collectability, where I owe the money, I just can't pay. There's a doubt as to liability, where you make an offer based on, I don't owe 500000 I really owe you twelve grand, and here's the evidence of it. So when people call, we're filing doubt as to liability offers, saying, you know, here are the copies of the returns you, have, you haven't processed, here's the backup, and by filing it, here's what it does. All collection stops. Just by filing it? Yep, yeah, you have an offer pending, all enforcement stops, no more levies. And my thought is either one of two things will happen. They'll get the offer, they'll work it, and they'll correct the balance, or the actual returns will have been processed, and I'll get a call from someone saying, we got your offer, it's been processed, we agree, can you just withdraw your offer? Okay, send me the transcripts showing me that, and we're all done. And so I have filed more doubt as to liability offers to stop collection. You mentioned that most CPAs are looking at me like, I've never heard of that. I didn't know you could do that. A lot of education I'm doing now is about just how the system works. There are lots of opportunities to fix things rather than calling at an 800 number and waiting on hold. 10 hours. So, so, so it's bitching yeah. about it on tax Twitter. <laughs> like does not. What, what about services things? like call and queue? What do you think of that? The greatest thing ever. Now, I will tell you what you're going to hear today is the IRS has rolled out bots to answer a lot of this. They answered two and a half million calls, 45% of which the people did the survey at the end, highly satisfied. And you say, well, 45%, that means 55 weren't happy with whatever the outcome was or the bot couldn't help them. But if you think about that, they got rid of over a million phone calls from the bot. That's where we're headed. That is the future of this. So the IRS, who cannot find staff, I think is going to go more and more automated. It, the interesting thing about the automation, when I started doing this, I could go over to the local IRS office and there were these, sit down for this, there were these things there called humans and you could talk to them and you could get to an answer and get things straightened out. There were no more humans or very difficult to get to. And so a lot of the automation is actually creating more need to have trained people who know what they're doing because I made a joke, by the way, a couple of years ago at an ABA conference. You, you'd get these these notices, these lien notices, and there was, I won't mention the name, there was a stamp. It's a, a name, but it's clearly a stamp at the bottom. So I made a joke at the ABA. I was giving a talk with the chief of collections at the time, and I said, that person died in 1982, but the stamp is... <laughs> it's still <laughs> the using stamp. the stamp. I got an email from her a week later said, I'm very much alive, Mr. Green, but, <laughs> but thank you. And she gave me her number and I called her. I said, it was a joke because there's no way to reach you. She said, I, I get that. She said, but no, I actually am here. We actually review these things. Your joke was not appreciated. <laughs> but, um, what do you think about the uh, efforts the IRS is making now to hire 10,000 new employees to process those backlog of paper and... Good luck. Yeah. I mean, try hiring anybody. In fact, one of the fascinating, my wife and I talk about the great resignation. Where are they all going? I mean, is everyone that wealthy? Or, I mean, is there that much welfare that people are just staying home? Or is everyone launching their own bit? I don't That's, understand. It's TikTok. This, what I saw, the latest I saw analysis of it is you look at how many people started their own businesses and how many people left the workforce. And it's like 800,000 people, which is like half of the great resignation number or something like that, 
went to work for themselves now. They're self-employed. They don't want to go work for an employer. You know, I, I will tell you, I've, I've heard about this and I've experienced it with some new hires. The snowflake generation. <laughs> I think you're talking about my generation there, perhaps. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. I get it, but I will tell, in all honesty, I think the workplace has to change. I think the crap that, uh, David, I don't know about you, but me, I started at KPMG. I had a senior manager the first week I had done something who came to me and literally told me, am I allowed to swear? Oh, yeah, sure. Who literally told me that I was a stupid asshole. Now, first of all, you're wondering, how did he know that so quickly? But number two, can you imagine saying that to somebody today? I don't want to put a date on this, but I want to frame this a little bit. Yeah, it was just a... Like, was it the 40s, 50s, or the 80s? Oh, 90s? I was. I graduated like... undergrad in '93, um, so we're talking. What is that? Almost 30 years ago. Yeah. So you could still talk to people like that in the workplace 30 years. Oh, ago. Yeah. I think it still. Ha- oh, listen, I, I'm, I'm sure, sure it still, still happens. happens. Okay. 30 <laughs> years ago, when I interned at Deloitte, if they had said go outside and lick the sidewalk, I would have gone outside and licked the sidewalk. All right. I think the workplace. The problem is twofold. One is you have a workplace not set up to deal with folks who, in, I guess, Gen Z, who understand there's more to life than my job. And I don't think they're wrong. How work is going to change to accommodate that, because they are. You can sit and bang your head all you want. We need to adjust. And frankly, I think it's a long time coming. The lifestyle in many of those firms was not healthy. A lot of folks, my generation older, divorced, no kids. They were married to the job. I don't know that that's necessarily such a good thing. On the other hand, it's fascinating when I have colleagues will email saying, we had somebody quit who we hired at almost 200000 to start because they were not allowed to leave at 3 o'clock every day to go walk their dog. Now, I can't imagine that when I was starting out that, oh, by the way, I have to leave every day at 3 to go to my apartment to walk my dog. But you know what? The fact that somebody would quit a $195,000 starting salary job as a first-year associate over that, I think, is a loud message about where priorities are. And it's going to change how long and how much pain we have to go through for it to get there. But I think businesses and employers willing to embrace remote work, willing to embrace lifestyle around it, will be more successful getting and keeping talent. Somebody who's going to take this entry-level job, one of these 10,000 jobs at IRS, is probably looking at that, and there's probably no vision of like, oh, this is going to be a lifestyle I like. The IRS is like, uh, there's a huge branding problem, right? right? So then I guess like kind of thinking about full circle with the tax rep network and representation, will there be a world maybe where CPAs and lawyers and really the tax reps themselves kind of will actually just do work for the IRS themselves? Almost like, in a way, like, Uber drivers is not the right model, but you know what I'm saying? They, they become the labor and they just do it. And they're like, all right, we trust, you're certified, you've been tested, we trust you've filed it right, you've done it right, I don't know. There was a report out, I don't remember the number. It's something like 800,000, 1040s, the IRS could just file for you. They have the W-2, they have, you know, I and, and the software companies are, are the ones who are gonna fight this tooth and nail. Why can't you log into the IRS, confirm what's there, now, of course, you'd have to push out because the, the information often isn't there until May or April or May, but I could log in, W-2, that, 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 and if I have deductions or whatever, put that stuff in, upload documents, hit submit, done. There are people who need prep because I have my own business and my records are, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, but half the 1040s in the country, it's just W-2 income, yeah. maybe some deductions. I mean, what you're talking about in yeah. that case is you're destroying the 
the franchise 1040 outfits or the right. ones that would take it in the shorts. But could that all be automated and done, allowing your people to focus on the actual cases where something could be going on? I mean, so many audits, the, the auditors don't get it. They're like nitpicking, trying to find things. If they came in on the big things, done, move on to the next one. They'd get more audits done. They'd get more money collected. And frankly, there'd be less need for us to sit there fighting over nickels and dimes. I have a question about education. You are an educator. That's what Tax Rep Network is, teaching accountants, lawyers how to represent taxpayers. Right. Why don't we have this in school? Why don't we learn how to actually do the work of talking to the IRS, of completing tax returns? But part of the 150 it's not, hours? It's not part of the uh, curriculum. At least it wasn't nope. when I did it, and that wasn't nope. that long ago. It wasn't in my undergrad curriculum. It was not in my law school curriculum. There's one class on litigation in my LLM which is a master's for lawyers. Couple things, one, what makes us so valuable is so few people even know how to do this. So finding people to even teach it is, and it's one of those areas of practice that is just glossed over. Most big firms, they don't do this. I mean, they'll do audits, but they don't have Fortune 100 clients that end up in collection, right? I mean, they, it's, they just pay it. So it's kind of a niche thing yeah, but there's like 10 million people, you said, that need this service. 10 million Americans Actually, or there were there are 15 million in collection, 10 million non-filers. So you're talking 25 million at the end of 19 before COVID. It's estimated somewhere around 30, 35 million now. So that's like 10% of the population yep. at any point. Or given that there are only 156 million actual tax Taxpayers, buyers, then it's closer, it's, it's closer to, to 20, 25%. Wow. Yeah. So, so obviously you have a deeper relationship with the IRS than... For sure, Blake and I do. <laughs> I hope to never have a relationship with the IRS. So, That's and, my and, goal. And we kind of have two strong views that we talk about on the show all the time. Like one, one thing we question is like, is it broken on purpose? We really, as a society and as government and funding, we don't want to fund the IRS. We want it to not crumble, but you want it to be weak and inefficient. And then the other piece is, for me, is like, if you're the average business or startup, it is the revenue generating point of your, if you think of the country as a business, it is our revenue generating organization. And we should be doubling down on the revenue part of our business, if you think of that. So just kind of where your view is like, what's wrong? Why is it so broken? How do we get here? Well, first of all, my thought is I actually would prefer a strong, well-functioning IRS. One, because as it breaks down, it's the average taxpayer that's taking it in the shorts, right? You can't get to a human being. You can't get your stuff fixed. It's people who like do away with the IRS. Yeah, that's smart. You're getting what you... I mean, we keep cutting the budget. This is what you're going to get. Multi-hour hold times, no human being to talk to. I think part of the problem is the IRS is also a welfare agency. It is, you know, the money going out. So they're, they're being asked to do more and more non-core activities by Congress with, you know, and then usually it's because they're incredibly efficient at it. I mean, what, 97.5% of people got their checks accurately? Find another agency that is even close to that. However, everyone focuses on the two and a half percent that didn't, right? So that's a good like perspective change. So the IRS is actually super efficient and productive. Given what it does, I'm amazed it functions as well as it does. Could it be better? Absolutely. That's my question is how do we fix it? We all know it's broken, right? I think we all agree. All reasonable people agree. Yep. And you've got one side that says, let's just abolish it. We're gonna we're gonna say that is not feasible. <laughs> no, not, not, not advised. It's either we just continue this situation, which has gone on for 10 years now, which is not sustainable, 
or we do something about it. So what do we do to fix it? What would you do if you were in charge, if you were the commissioner, yep. Eric, what would you do? Well, it's more Congress than the commissioner. If you were Congress and the commissioner. Huh? I think I would, it's a lot more money, but I will tell you this, I'm not in favor of human enforcement, like more revenue officers. They bring in a very small percentage. You need them for the mo most hardcore issue people. But for the most part, I would be focusing on technology, leveraging technology. Why? Now, security is a big thing. People don't realize the IRS, I think, gets an, a million attempted hacks a day on their system. So when people say, why can't I just upload? Why can't I just email? Security is a massive problem for them. However, we are moving in that direction. I would put resources into automating everything I can to make it easier for people to deal with them, thereby limiting the number of people who have to call, all right? The bots will help if they can answer all the easy stuff. Basically, like every other business, make use of what you have to the best extent. Now, even if you do all that, it will never be perfect just because, but I think that would go a long way. If Congress could figure out a different way to administer welfare other than having the IRS do it, that would probably be helpful. But now what agency is going to do it? You know, it's one of these that it would be great if they could get out of that game, if they didn't have to deal with the earned income tax credit and the advanced child tax credit, if all that was handled by another agency, I mean, that's where a lot of the fraud is. That's where a lot of the slowdown, a lot of the complaints come in. If they were not in the well, it's like schools. If schools didn't have to provide breakfast and lunch for low-income people, it's less headache, less staff, you know, let a school just do what it is. But how do you educate people who show up who aren't hungry, who, you know, who show up hungry or, or whatever? The IRS is probably the best one to administer it, but it, it is a huge drag on resources. Could they do more with the private sector? For instance, I'm TSA approved, all right? I can walk through security without having to pull all my stuff out of my bag. Can I, like you were saying, I've been vetted. Can I upload stuff to the IRS and get things done faster? Again, limiting having their folks focus on other people. I don't know that's a good idea or bad, but from my perspective, it would be great if I could just upload stuff and get it, you know, just have it done. Well, so here's an idea that's based on uh, my experience moving to Arizona, which is uh, I discovered in Arizona we have these private DMVs. You can register as a business with the, I think it's the MVD in Arizona, the Motor Vehicle Department. Yep. And you can set up your own private office that you plug into their computer systems and you can issue licenses. You can take vehicle registrations and you act as like a semi-governmental agency, right? Or, or you're acting as an agent for the department. And we could do that with the IRS. If firms could register to act as agents and then plug into those systems, you know, that they could resolve issues. Well, you know what, it, what would be interesting, what the government would tell you if they were here, bad tax preparers, are like one of the biggest problems. But if you think about it, if I had an, one of these agencies, the IRS could still have somebody, you know, even statistically every fifth, 10th, whatever, pulling my stuff and looking at it, it probably allows you to do more with less, right? You could get more done with fewer people. And like one of the frustrations for me are the audits that seem to last forever, that nitpicking through, and at some point you wanna say, like, are you actually getting anything for this other than just wasting time? Remember, there's a big incentive for a lot of the IRS employees who are not necessarily always the most, um, what is the word I'm looking for, that'll be pleasant, the most driven individuals. There's an incentive to not work terribly hard on these well, and drag them would out. Would that be like all 
government jobs. <laughs> like, you know, you, I don't think it's unique to the IRS. Maybe. I will tell you, you do have some hard-charging people. At, at, that's why they're at the top. But then you have a lot of people that are punching the clock. I think like any government agency in any government anywhere, people don't become government bureaucrats because they're hard-charging. The ones that are go in for three or four years to get trained and then leave and go go private. The folks that are lifers there are there because they're not working very hard. I have one more question. Okay, right. and then we'll close and it out. Then we'll close it out, yeah. Eric, I think I could talk to you for three hours. I find this very, very fascinating because it's like it's it's kind of out of our comfort zone and you just have a point of view of the world that we haven't chatted with about. So there is one piece of this world I'm trying to reconcile my brain right now. With you being a lawyer, yep. to the tax rep network, you're not a CPA. Where does tax representation fit in with the AICPA? Do you work with them? Do you talk with them? Are they like, we don't want anything to do with you? Like, where, where does this fit in in, where do you, in this world? The AICPA every now and then wants to put their toe in the water. So for a few years at Engage, their conference, yeah. we were kicking off the conference with a full day of representation. COVID kind of brought that to an end. And this June, they are not doing that again. I think that anywhere where you have a lot of large, like a lot of the large regional and international firms drive the AICPA, this is not an area that they're very interested in because their clients don't, it's not something they do. So I think for them, they're much more into the technology, the planning, estate planning, you know, financial planning, that kind of higher level stuff, whereas this is viewed as sort of you know, EAs do that and, you know, solo CPAs. They're not the drivers behind the AICPA. The AICPA should have an area that deals with this. Uh, they don't. I've talked to them until I'm blue in the face. They'll yes you to death. Yep, no, it's important, but not that important. <laughs> All right, so I'm a listener. I'm like, hey, I want to add tax representation to my business, right? Or to my firm. How do I get a hold of Tax Rep Network? How do I find you on Twitter? What? what? How do we, how, how do they find you? We're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and all that. It's taxrepllc.com. Truthfully, if you Google it, we're not hard to find. You know, we're doing a lot of talks. We're doing a lot of webinars. We're kind of everywhere. So speaking of everywhere, so obviously you're at the Accounting Web Live Summit right now. Are you going to be at some other conferences as we go on this season? Um, well, yeah, I'm speaking twice today. Uh, I'm doing um, tax resolution with the SBSC Commissioner for Enforcement, Darren Guillaume, and then this afternoon I'm with the Deputy Chief of Criminal. My next conference that I'll be at will be the NATP at uh, Caesars, uh, their um, July um, national conference. That's all I can think of right now. I might be at CCH's Users Conference in the fall, and then we do our own conference in Vegas. All right. Oh. If you want a podcast to come cover your conference, if you, if maybe, you want, if you want to come down, yeah, fun to we, do. Well, so we, the New England Rep Conference is the big one. That's in New Haven in November. In uh, December, we do a three-day conference with Tax Help Software and Tax Mentor. I don't know if you know Roger Nemeth. We do a program with him. It is three days in December. Awesome. I think that's it. That's Craig. it, Eric Green. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for great having to speak me. With it's you. Been great talking to you.